0: And now, Fastened Like Nails with Dr. Mark Hamby. Welcome everyone to Fastened Like Nails and the studio with me, co-host Molly Mayo Hello. and Colin Smith, Hello. teacher of the Bible, theology, and everything else under the sun and under heaven. So Colin, we're going to look at another excerpt of Friends, mm-hmm. what I'd like to talk about today, are the biblical friends that we need to have in our lives. And you just did a seven-part series, right? Yes, we did. And we found a new one that we forgot about, Mm -hmm. and it's called?
1: Loving and Sympathetic Friends. This is actually the one that started it all, that we read in and we were like, yes, we need to make this a series.
0: Hmm. And the sympathetic and loving friend is Nathan, who confronts David about a sin. Mm. And really God towards David. Oh, that's cool. Okay, so define, describe, a sympathetic and loving friend that fits the role of a Nathan the prophet who's got Mm. to come to David and tell him not only his sin, but the way he tells him about his sin. It's kind of interesting.
2: Yeah. So um, the series we wrote um, was about the kind of friends our kids should have. And the kind of friends that we should have as well as our kids are the kind of friends who can lovingly sympathize with us, Mm. but also at the same time bring us to the truth and not sort of commiserate with us in our sin and allow us to continue in it, but the kind of friends who are sympathetic with us and they love us and they come to us and they can confront us in a loving way and and really kind of help shepherd us, which we talked in this series. Shepherding is sort of the idea of friendship. Hmm.
0: Okay, well, that's it for this podcast Colin. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is kind
1: of confusing, though, when you first hear the story of Nathan, because you wouldn't think of him as a loving and sympathetic friend. You'd think of him as, like, confrontational. And, um, I mean, he did... He was a storyteller. He had a very creative way of talking about David's sin, but...
0: Yeah, so Nathan uh, comes to David. I mean, this is pretty big, because this is the king. you got to confront the king, right? Yes.
1: Talk about awkward.
0: Oh, yeah. and But if the prophet's going to do his... You know, fulfill his responsibility. Mm. He has to do this. Do you remember who who was the uh, who was the person that said, um, I, "If I if I got to go before the king again, he's gonna he's gonna be so upset with me." Do you remember that in the Old Testament? Esther. No, there was there was someone that um, oh, it was Jeremiah. Jeremiah was like, "Lord, I've got to go and tell." It was Jeconiah. I got to mm-hmm. go and tell Jeconiah this. I mean, he's mm-hmm. already you know mm-hmm. already put me in the pit. You know, and I'm. I'm, you know, I haven't eaten in days. I'm eating bread and, you know, polluted water. So, but he's got to obey the word of the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. And God has a way of sending the right person into David's life
2: with the right message, like we talked about. Um, the way Nathan presents it is he really lets, he lets David judge David. Mm. Oh and so he kind of comes to him in chapter 12 and he it's a chiastic structure in 15 through uh,
0: in chapter 12 verses 5 through 7. Okay, and those that are unfamiliar with the chiastic structures, the key is the the letter it looks like the letter x in the Greek language and God writes his word from both all sides of the ends of the letter x so four different sides and then it it crosses in the center, and the center of that caustic structure is the central meaning.
2: Yeah. The, the Bible uses ideas. It rhymes ideas. And so what it'll do is it'll take two ideas on either side of a, a structure, and it'll it'll put them next to each other. Mm. And then a little closer to the center, two ideas that rhyme. And it forms this kind of parallel um, structure of ideas that leads to a central point. What's in so the middle? So Jesus is the greatest example of that. The first shall be last, and the last shall be? First. First. He who exalts himself shall be humbled. He who humbles himself shall be exalted. 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 Jesus not only talked in chiasms, the chiasms he talked about were real-life examples of oh, chiasms. Oh,
1: that's crazy.
2: So God works in chiasms. Jesus is the example. He comes in. What well, did you know? The Word of God speaks in chiasms. It's amazing. Um, but what happens in Second Samuel is it starts in 5. It talks about a man. And David's anger is kindled against the man. And this is the man who... Rather than slaughter one of his own sheep, and he had all these lambs to slaughter, he slaughtered someone else's Hmm. lamb. And then it ends in chapter 7 with, thou art the man that did this. And then as you get closer, in 5 it says, Nathan says to David, well, at the end, Nathan says to David, you are the man. Hmm. So the center of this structure, what the Lord is saying to pay attention to, is David's words. When David says, as the Lord liveth, that's a pledge or an oath. The man that has done this shall surely die. Oof. He and he shall restore the lamb. What is it? Fourfold. Fourfold. Because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Hmm. So David pronounces not only his own judgment, mm-hmm. but what was wrong in what he did. He identifies the no pity. Hmm. But Whoa. do you know what happens to no, David?
0: No pity on his husband. And on, on Uriah. Husband, yeah.
2: But you know what happens to David? Hmm. So the thing is, because you took one of his lambs, I'll take fourfold from you, right? Mm. Well, you know what happens? David's first first four children. David's four children die. One from Bathsheba, uh, Adonijah, who took advantage of Tamar, Absalom, and later Adonijah with Solomon. Mm. That's the fourth one, and it's right at the end of his life. Mm. So he does pay back fourfold. But the thing is, is guess what he's paying back? Children. Because guess what Uriah was? God's child. Mm. He took one of God's children, so God took four of his Wow. Which is amazing that Uriah Hittite, God loved him and saw him as his child. Mm, that's interesting. So God loves Uriah and God loves David. But what does God do when he finds that David has done the sin against Uriah? He sends someone, Nathan, to David and he reveals to David the truth, which is the loving and sympathetic thing to do. So God is interested in dealing with the sin in David's life because he loves him.
0: You know, it's interesting that we live in a day of grace, but mm. but not really. Mm-hmm. We've always lived in the day of grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So it's always been grace. But what people need to understand is that God still judges us. Mm-hmm. There's still consequences to our sin. And so, you know, if there's a divorce or if there is, you know, theft or, you know, adultery, whatever the sin is, there are going to be consequences mm-hmm. that have to be not paid for, but it's a, it's a, it's a normal result of yeah. uh, consequences of our behavior. And there's and there's a way to be a friend
2: like Nathan and to come to someone and to lovingly and graciously present the truth. Mm-hmm. So um, one of my favorite characters in the Bible is John the Baptist. John the Baptist is a truth teller. Uh, when people come in the wilderness who are Pharisees, he calls them brood of vipers. And so he's known as someone who's in the wilderness crying out, making way, um, and he's known for being a truth teller. But in chapter 11 of Matthew, um, you see John sends messengers to Jesus. And at this moment, John is in jail for being a truth teller. Mm-hmm. He his head cut off. <laughs> he's about to get his head cut off in chapter 14. And so John is waiting in prison and he's thinking, okay, now's the time, Jesus. Now's the time. Wait, bring the uh, kingdom bring in. Bring so the kingdom can, in. You to, yeah. So, you know, yeah. last minute. But he sends a letter to him. and He doesn't say that. He just says, are you the Christ or not? which is a very gracious thing to say.
0: Or should we look for one to come? Or should we look for
2: another? And Jesus responds by saying, what do you see? You see the fulfillment of prophecy. You see people, the blind speaking, the lame walking. No, the blind seeing. I'm sorry, the blind seeing. (laughs) The blind probably spoke too. Yes. (laughs) Well, well, that's not a miracle. But what he says is he says, look at the fulfillment of prophecy. Look around you and see the fulfillment of prophecy. And so John accepts that. And John accepts that answer. And because it's a a good answer, John receives that and he's willing to back off. Mm. And so this is the tension. Usually truth tellers are all about the truth and they won't give up. So when you get a truth teller who's a friend, they're going to speak truth, but it's really hard for them to be gracious and sympathetic. Mm. And on the other hand, when you have someone who's an empathetic empathetic kind of a person, they'll listen to you, they'll sympathize with you, but they're going to when it comes to hard things to say to you, they're going to back off from that. Mm. What you want is you want a person who, who is so fixed on the truth of the Bible, like John is, mm-hmm. that he's willing to accept his own death if that means this is what the Bible says. Mm. The Bible says that Christ will do these things, and, you, and this is what the Christ is doing. And I think that's the key to having a sympathetic friend. It's someone who's seeking to see God glorified in your life and not seeking to kind of have their own way.
1: Oh, that's good. Instead of bringing something up because it makes them uncomfortable or upset, they're bringing something up because they genuinely care enough to have you walk in a better way.
2: Yeah, their concern for you is, is, is they love you. Mm. And they want to see, they really love God and they want to see you more like Jesus. Mm. So a sympathetic friend is if not just a friend who comes into your life and like a drill sergeant, Mm -hmm. But one who who has the courage, which is what truth tellers have, they have courage because they believe in right and wrong. But they also have the grace and the kindness, which is an empathetic person has, Mm -hmm. to take that truth
0: and to deliver it to you and, and, and to really seek your good in seeking that. So when you say loving and sympathetic, you're not really saying loving and sympathetic without truth.
2: Yeah. So... This is the danger. We don't want kids, our kids, to, to go out and find friends who, um, how do I say, they don't love it. They don't call out sin in their lives. Um, friends who they kind of commiserate with your child mm-hmm. and they commiserate with the anger and the discontent and the all of these sins. Mm-hmm. We don't want friends who do that. You know, who come along and say, "I'm angry at your parents too. They're wrong." Mm-hmm. What we want is we want friends who come alongside and who bring the Bible into bear. And that takes a lot of courage, but a lot of empathy as well. Mm. And so, the, a, a godly friend is a friend who says, "Is it right for you to be angry? And if it's right for you to be angry, what are you? Gonna, what does God say to do with that anger?" Mm. And they're not concerned about your parents, and they're not concerned about using your child, you know, their anger and their emotions to control them. Mm-hmm. They're interested in God's glory.
0: I remember um, visiting a major donor for the, for the ministry, and he uh, he had me. And Debbie at our at his house for um, for two days, and he had a very interesting way of interviewing me. So this was <laughs> a major opportunity for Lamplighter, and and he wanted to make sure that if he's going to give money to the ministry, that we were the right, you know, fit for him. And uh, he started the interview at dinner around six o'clock that night, and then we came home and had dessert and. And um, he continued asking questions. He didn't stop asking questions the entire night. And uh, finally, at around four a.m., Debbie went to bed. And at six thirty a.m., we were still going. Mm. <laughs> he was interviewing me that entire time. Whoa! And um, one of the one of the things he was interviewing me about was to see whether or not I had the tenacity and the endurance, endurance, perseverance of doing what needed to be done. And it was like either he or I was going to drop first. But he said something to me that I'll never forget, and I've made it my priority to make sure this is in my life. And he said, I want to know who you have as a moderate antagonist. And I said, well, what is that? And he goes, someone that is for you but will be willing to disagree with you, in fact, usually disagrees with you. Mm. And um, – and I said, I don't have anyone that disagrees with me. And he goes, well, you're not going to get any support from us until you do.
1: Oh, that's good.
0: He goes, I'd like you to have at least two people that are moderate antagonists in your life. And within, within a few months, God raised up two men. And this was, this was probably close to 15 years ago. Mm. And they've been in my life ever since. And they don't hesitate to speak the truth to me, <laughs> and but I know they love me. Yep. Mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and they, in fact, one time, they felt it was so important to speak to me about something that they th- thought needed to change in my life. They one came from Virginia, the other came from Ohio, and they met me here. Mm-hmm. And it was brutal. In fact, I disagreed with them. I mean, we we had a battle. Mm-hmm. Um, the, it was it was two days of just, verbal battle. I was holding on to my position. They were holding on to theirs and it I felt like they were I can deal with them one at a time, but I felt like they were ganging up on me and I didn't like it. And it was and I felt like it was crushing the spirit that was here at Lamplighter. And I and I and I told them, I said, Guys, I said, this doesn't feel right. It feels like you're you're ganging up on me And uh, and they were like and but they were they were being calm in their approach, but they were being Firm. Mhm. And uh, so I went, I went that night and I just spent some time in the word and just in prayer. And the Lord just revealed to me, like, they're not being upset and angry. You're being frustrated and angry. Mm. And so therefore, they're bringing something out in your life that needs to be, you know, revealed. And you're, you're, there's something that is not right with you. And and I, I went to them the next day and, and just confessed and apologized. And um it was really something they you know, they they hugged me, they prayed for me, but they did not give in. They're not like, Oh, that's all right. You know, they were like, This needs to change. Yeah. And um and I I, I don't think I'd be where I am today without them. And yeah. of course yeah. it's good to marry someone like that too. <laughs> yeah. You oh, know, yeah. that's gonna speak the truth to you. If you're married to somebody that's always gonna be like agreeing with you, that's not a very, that's not a healthy relationship. You know, we need to be able to have iron, no, iron in our marriage. Term. Not at
2: all. Yeah, no, I, I think um, one concept that we talked about in the blog that I really think mm-hmm. is understated is there is an idea of bad grace
0: mm-hmm. and
2: of bad sympathy. Mm-hmm. You know, um, in Second Samuel 13, David sympathizes with Amnon um, because he himself took, took advantage of Bathsheba mm-hmm. and what, look what he did to Uriah. But that was bad sympathy, mm-hmm. that was bad grace. And there is something called bad grace. It's when we, we don't deal with sin and our grace is foregoing or or overlooking the punishment of and the dealing with sin. So in dealing with sin, we don't take steps to help that person remove the sin from their life mm. or to challenge them to change. We just sort of, kind of our sympathy takes over and we just overlook the sin mm. and, and we're not actually helping them. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, It requires a relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, You can't just go into someone's, walk into someone's life without a relationship and start telling them truth, Mm -hmm. or at least what you think is truth. You need to have a basis for it, but more than that, you can't just leave someone's life after you've told them truth. Mm -hmm. You have to be willing to stay with them and say, hey, this is what you have to do. I'm going to talk to you about this. We're going to work through this.
0: What what cultivates a friendship like that? That's Really, that's a great question, even though Mm -hmm. I asked it myself. (laughs) I mean why does a person want to have a friendship with somebody that is going to have that kind of interaction? It's
1: interesting you say that because that's something actually that God's been bringing up a little bit in my life recently, being like loving someone enough to speak up because that's not my natural inclination. Hmm. Um, So I think as I've been maturing and seeking God in that he's been like revealing that, and I don't think that's something, I think it's a character sort of thing to love someone enough to do that. I don't think you're at a point in your relationship where you're like, oh, now I can just start speaking truth into your life. Because I think that it, it's really determining, it's really determined on your character. And if if that's something that you're receptive to with God working in your life and correcting you, then it's going to be a little bit easier to go to your friend and be like, hey, you know, I, I see this and
0: Okay, let's this let's name like. some friends. Do you have people that are outside of your family that you are attracted to? They're your friends. Mm-hmm. Do you have several? One, two, three.
1: You mean who's who speak truth into my life, or
0: the, a friend like someone that you really you enjoy their friendship and yeah. they do speak truth into your yes, life?
1: Yes, I can think of some.
0: You, can, you got a few. Yeah. And so, what attracted you to that to cultivate those friendships?
1: Um. I think there was just a very refreshing honesty that they were open to not caring about what I thought um, in the sense that, oh, no, I, I'm going to just, like, not be receptive to this and cut you off. They were like, you know, it might be wor- it's worth the risk sort of a thing. And um, they knew that I was going to be receptive even, in, like, in the moment, you know, we're not like, oh, thank you so much for sharing that I'm prideful and cocky mm-hmm. and immature. You know, like, we don't really no one likes that but um just seeing that they
0: um okay let me me name a name
1: yeah
0: rochelle yeah rochelle okay (laughs) for sure so what attracted Mm -hmm. you to cultivate a friendship with with rochelle
1: she loves jesus and she was she's always in the word and always searching the the scriptures and i could tell that when it came to something morally in my own life that was a little questionable like i'm have a bad attitude and she just straightforward will don't be like that.
2: Yeah, okay. <laughs> and
1: I knew that it was just like, it wasn't just like she was thinking, you know, you're not holding up to my standard of morality. It was, that's what the Bible says. And I love you. You love the Bible. Get your heart right.
0: <laughs> so her love for Jesus and the Word yeah. attracted you to her. For sure. And mm-hmm. with that kind of relationship,
1: mm-hmm.
0: she was able to speak truth into your life yeah. and you were able to receive it. Were you able to speak truth into her life?
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Huh. I, th- I think so. Okay,
0: yeah. cool. Colin, do you have any friends? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I have a couple. I absolutely do.
2: I absolutely do. I actually had at one point um, a while back a friend who was very sympathetic with me, mm. but also very sympathetic with um, other people who needed, who didn't need his sympathy. Oh, wow. They needed truth. Yeah. And uh, he was withholding it and extending sympathy and grace to everybody and truth to no one. And a lot of people end up getting hurt because it was bad grace. You know, it's mm-hmm. like David... Mm-hmm and his son he didn't deal with the sin and punish his son so he loses he, he loses his son and he loses absalom mm-hmm. and he loses more people because of that mm. um i think yeah i've had friends like that and um, some of my best friends um what happened is the lord just brought in within the last year he's brought into my life one friend a really an amazing person he's a, he's older than i am and mm-hmm. he is like super empathetic, like. Mm-hmm. but he's really truthful. Mm-hmm. And I think what I like most about my friendship with him is that his, his goal in my life is not to get something out of me. It's the glory of God. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the key that's to cool. a good friend. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you have a sympathetic friend who's a, who's, who wants the sympathy as an emotional high for themselves mm-hmm. to be needed, that's selfishness. Or if you want a friend who's truthful, but they don't care about you, that's not godly. The motivation for taking the risk ought to be not just the sympathy for you, but a love for God. So that way God gets the glory in the end.
0: I like that. Mm. Okay. Um, are we friends? Yeah. What kind of friend am I? What do you mean? Sympathetic, truthful.
2: Oh, I think you're more of a truth teller, to be honest. Mm. So I not that you're not sympathetic. I think, I think everyone skews one way or another. Mm-hmm. And it's okay. That's the way God wired us. I think for me... I'm more like Molly. I think I'm more sympathetic, Mm -hmm. but it takes courage to Mm -hmm. overcome your fear and anxiety and and tell the truth. Mm -hmm. And I think what has to give you that courage is a desire to see God work in that person. Mm
0: -hmm. So I used to be extremely sympathetic and being more of a truth teller has been something that I've had to really grow in. Mm -hmm. Uh, And only because of, I feel it's more of a calling and a responsibility mm-hmm. because I've God's placed me in a position of authority. And so if I'm not speaking the truth to people, then they're not going to grow.
2: Well, I think that in the growing process, in the sanctification process, when you have someone who starts out as a sympathetic person, they need to learn courage in mm-hmm. order to tell the truth and they yeah. need to take courage from God's word. But that person, oftentimes I found people who are inherently sympathetic have more insights than the, the just the uh, truth tellers who are just will say it.
0: The reason I couldn't speak the truth, though, was because I didn't have the character to back up the truth. And so I always felt like I couldn't say something to somebody because I was guilty of the same things Mm -hmm. usually.
2: Absolutely. Well, that's the worst is a truth teller who has no introspection. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's super dangerous. A truth teller who has no introspection and who's coming to you without themselves having a clean slate— or at least having a right relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean someone perfect. I mean someone who who has unsettled sin in their life. That's the most dangerous, I think. Mm-hmm. But a, a sympathetic person who just lets you sin, that's also dangerous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I think with a truth teller, when you have a reformed truth teller who learns empathy, the hardest part about that is God really has to crush them to teach them empathy. And that's really hard. But that's, that's a precious thing. But mm-hmm. I think with a sympathetic person, oftentimes their insights are really deep, mm. and, and and they become better truth-tellers, I think, than people who start out as
0: truth-tellers. So I'm going to reveal something that is not going to be easy to share, but I'm going to share because I think it's important for the listeners to hear this. There was a time, um, I don't know how many years ago this was, um, more than a decade ago, um, and I was evangelizing my neighborhood and um, inviting people to church. I, I I'm kind of an evangelist. I, Mm -hmm. not kind of, Mm -hmm. I I love evangelizing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and there was this, this, um, neighbor that, um, she had been recently divorced and, Mm. um, you know, shared Christ and she was extremely receptive. And, uh, you know, my wife was like, um, I don't think we're going to do a lot of evangelizing to, uh, you know, divorced women on the street. Mm-hmm. You know, get some women to do that. Uh, very, uh, mm-hmm. and Debbie's very insightful. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, you know, being the type of person I was, I was like, okay, but maybe, maybe just one more time and I'll just make sure that she knows that she's cared for, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I never, never forget this. I remember asking my pastor, my best friend, um, and another friend, you know, if what they thought And they were all in agreement with me, Mm -hmm. you know, and and now looking back, you know, they should never have been in agreement with me, Hmm. you know, because they were, they were so like, you know, for me, they were, they were unable Mm -hmm. to see, you know, the dangers. What can go
1: wrong with evangelizing. Yeah,
0: exactly. And so I I look back at them going like, boy, there was a time in my life when I needed, I needed some of my friends to be really strong Mm -hmm. and saying like, hey, cut it out. Cut it out! Cut it off! Cut it off. <laughs> you know, yeah, both. <laughs> both. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, uh-huh. and so we gotta we gotta make sure that you know just because someone is living a life, they're a pastor, mm-hmm. or there there is no respect of persons. You know, we're all mm-hmm. prone mm-hmm. to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride of life. And when someone is becoming a little bit wayward, even even the the slightest way. Mm-hmm that's when there needs to be courage to speak the truth regardless of what the results are gonna be. Because they, mm-hmm. cause if a person's gonna take that, like if I see you, Colin, doing something that you, I, I'd say, like, hey, there's some trouble here, I need to speak the truth regardless of how you may respond. Yep. You know, Because if, and especially if I really have your best interest in mind mm-hmm. and love you. Absolutely,
2: I think the temptation is to play the long game well, they'll fall into their sin and then they'll learn and I'll be there to pick them up. When the reality is, that's not the call of the New Testament. You we're think to exhort can... one another. We're to sort of challenge one yeah. another. We're supposed to go to our brother if he's in sin and win him back. Mm-hmm. And not win him back by forcing him and twisting his arm, but by bringing the truth to him and, and, and saying, here's the truth. And this is what I see in your life before he falls into sin. I mm. think for me uh, as a pastor, one of the great temptations is you see people who are fixed in their sin. Mm-hmm. their entire lives, mm-hmm. they're they're going along this path and they're just they're fixed in it and no one has bothered to challenge them. Mm-hmm. And you know what's going to happen when you challenge them. It's not going to be pretty. Mm-hmm. But it's your job. That's what you're called right. to do. Right. And and it's an exhortation. You're not supposed to grind them down and, and destroy them, but you're supposed to call them out lovingly yeah. um, for everyone's sake. Because when the truth is revealed, a, 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 a Christian has to look at the Bible and say, this is what I want to look like. And mm. if I don't look like that, I either have to admit I'm lying or line up with the truth. And it's really hard, and it's a really—that's why it takes surgeons' hands. You have to have, like—you have to have, like, a, a, the strength of, of Andre the Giant mm. in, in the hands of a surgeon, you know, to lovingly deal with sin in a church. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and if it gets that far where a person's locked in their sin, it's very difficult to turn them around. It is. Um, that's why it's important to be strong enough to say, like, when something's wrong, like, hey, this is wrong. This is going to ruin your family. It's going to ruin your marriage. You need to stop it now. Mm-hmm. And if you don't stop it, then here there are the consequences. Yeah. Number one, we're not going to be friends anymore. That, you know, yeah. um, Proverbs chapter 6, you know, cut it off. Go to your friend. Demand. If you're involved in an immoral relationship or a relationship with someone of unknown character you go to your friend and you say look at we're not going to continue this you've got to cut it you've got to stop this yeah you know and and i think that that is what nathan does with david
2: yeah right so one of the things that's really amazing about the kings is that every king gets a prophet Hmm. and that prophet is the voice of god speaking truth into their lives and there's certain kings who hate the prophets because they don't know god and they ignore them and there are certain kings that listen to the prophets and have this relationship with the prophets where they're going back and forth like david and nathan mm. and so my question
0: is like who does
2: god put in your
0: life god always puts someone
2: in your life mm-hmm. to be a truth oh, that's
1: really good
0: that's really good I, I like when um the carmelite woman um abigail came to see david she was a truth speaker in his life she wasn't as empathetic as she was or sympathetic as she was speaking the truth to him. He was about to kill her husband and all the men there. And she comes with all of these, all this produce and fruit. Mm-hmm. And she says, you know, my Lord, you are bound in the bundle of life with the Lord thy God. Mm-hmm. To do such a thing is not wise. And so I like the way she approaches David. She She reverences him. She respects him. But then she tells him, that you're about to commit a foolish act.
2: Mm.
0: Mm. And she is the very wise one, and her husband is the fool, uh-huh. right? And so it's amazing. David recognizes that her speech, her her mm-hmm. words mm-hmm. are filled with wisdom. And I think, I think when we're going to speak truth to somebody, we can't just speak truth, you, you shouldn't do this. We should speak truth that is wise, mm-hmm. words of God that, because that's the only thing that's going to change me. When someone quotes scripture to me, and, it's, and it fits the occasion, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it almost always, if not, in fact, I, can, I think I can say it always changes me. Mm. That's, that's what changes me the most, someone that has a word fitly spoken that...
1: I was just thinking of that. Isn't that in Proverbs? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That, so we need to be skilled in the use of the Word of God when we're going to be both sympathetic and truth-speaking.
2: One lesson I learned early on as a pastor is um, you don't want people to follow you. You want people to follow the Word. And Mm. before you meet someone, make sure you pray it over and bring the Bible and show them the Bible, from the Bible, what you're saying. Mm. And recommend it to them and leave the decision between
0: them and the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And God will do the work. Don't you find a lot of conversations today are really absent from the spoken word, from the Word of God? You know, if when we're meeting with some, and the only, the reason for that is that people aren't spending a lot of time in the Word. Because if you they spend a lot of time in the Word, you're memorizing it, you're talking about it, you're meditating upon it. You know, Joshua one eight and nine, this book of the law will not depart out of my mouth, but I'll meditate upon it. Mm. By the way, you ready for this? The Bible says you only have to meditate upon the Word twice a day, mm. day and night. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah. but if we were doing that then our conversations are going to be saturated with the Word of God. When my friend Chad calls me up, the majority of our conversation is about the Word of God. Mm. You know, that's what we're talking about, iron sharpening iron. And we're, what, what are you studying? What are you studying? You know, we're, and we're talking about what we've been studying. Yeah. Um, you know, I had a devotion this morning that was kind of it kind of flopped, but it helped me to really put this back into perspective, to think it through. How can I be more articulate about this truth? I'm studying First mm-hmm. John right now. And the uh, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And I was sharing this. I don't think it means what I traditionally have understood it to mean. i I think it's talking to the Gnostics that when they what they were, they were not um, admitting their sin. They were saying that the sins of the body don't count. And God is saying to them, yeah, they do. And the way that you'll know that you're a true believer is that if you, the word confess means agree, to agree with God's words, yeah. to agree with what God's saying. And so if you're in agreement with what God is saying that you are sinful, then if you do confess, if you do admit, agree with God that you're sinful, then God can cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And then it says in the next verse, but if you say that you don't have any sin, then you lie and the truth or the word is not in you. And so that idea there, is so important because the Word of God cannot have an effect in a person's life if they're denying the sin that they're committing. That's why it's so important for us as we're talking to one another Mm. in real life that we are using the Word as God's tool to help someone realize that they're out of step and out of fellowship with this amazing God that wants to have good fellowship with them. Mm.
2: And you have to see those people in your life as placed there by God. And don't be offended. When Jesus, Jesus is the perfect man. Everything he said was true, had to be. Hmm. And he had two people, John the Baptist and Peter, who were constantly, "Are you sure, Lord? Are you sure? <laughs> um, if Jesus, the perfect man, has people like that, we also, fallible people, need friends around oh, us that's too. that's really
0: good. Hmm. That is good.
1: That's actually really encouraging.
0: Is it? Yeah. That's cool. Because God has brought people into your life.
1: Yeah, I think there will always be people who make you second-guess, but if you feel like the Lord is leading you in something, then it shouldn't matter what people say mm-hmm. and just being strong in that. And, I yeah, I forgot that Jesus had people, like his closest friends. That's mm.
2: really
0: cool. Well, Colin, I think that's a great note to end on. So loving and sympathetic friends. If you were to sum that up as to how people acquire loving and sympathetic friends, how would you encourage them to pursue those kinds of relationships
2: people that are interested in the glory of god seen and lived out
0: in their own lives will be interested in lived out in your life that's good Mm. what a great note to end on molly colin thanks so much for another amazing discussion in god's word Mm. of wise loving and sympathetic friends god bless You've been listening to Fastened Like Nails, a presentation of Lamplighter Ministries. Our mission is to make ready a people prepared for the Lord by building Christ like character one story at a time. To learn more about our family collection of rare books, dramatic audios, or guild programs, visit lamplighter.net. To hear more podcasts, search for Fastened Like Nails wherever you listen to podcasts you have a question you would like to submit for the Lamplighter team, visit lamplighter.net slash podcast and fill out the form. That's lamplighter.net slash podcast.